Welcome to the Serial Audiobook Alive, an unabridged podcast of Book One in the Generations Trilogy. Written by Scott Sigler. Performed by Emma Galvin. This novel is available in print, ebook, or as a full length audiobook. For links to Amazon, Barnes and Noble, or Audible, please visit scottsigler.com slash alive. 21. We crawl across dirt. The little tunnels sticks, scrape at my arms and shoulders, snag on my shirt and snarl in my hair. I didn't realize that my ponytail has been coming apart. It's hard to keep the hair out of my face. I must look like an even bigger mess than I thought. Bishop struggles to crawl through. He's much bigger than I am. The sharp edges tear into his bare skin. I'm behind him, his feet not far from my face. We're both flat on our bellies. Twice I see him tangle in the thicket, gnawed wood stabbing into him. And I know the pain will make him turn back. But he snarls and growls, either forces his body through or uses the knife to cut away the offensive branches. He presses on. He is big and fast and strong, but he is also tough. He doesn't ignore pain as much as he endures it. He will not quit. The 12-year-old me looks up to Bishop, wants to be like him in that way. At any point since the vote, he could have taken the spear from me and claimed leadership. I couldn't have stopped him, yet he hasn't done that. He's been true to his word. Is he my friend? I feel that he is, and I'm grateful for it. When our torch went out, I thought the darkness would eat me up and swallow me down. But ahead of us, light coming through the thicket. No, not just ahead of us. Light filters down from above. I stop crawling. Plants, light. Is it daylight? And that awful smell. The pig crap, it's gone. The air here smells fresh and clean. Have we made it? Is this the way out? I scramble to catch up to Bishop. He's grunting, forcing his way past another tangle. He wants through so badly he's willing to pay for it in pain, in blood. And I wonder, is blood the true cost of all things? He crawls free and stands. I speed up, unable to control myself, feeling the cold dirt scrape against my belly and thighs. I try to rise too early and am rewarded with a small jagged branch digging deep into my shoulder. Ow, ow! Hold still for a second, Bishop says. He snaps the branch off the thicket, then gently pulls the bit of wood out of my skin. Are you okay? If his expression wasn't so serious, I'd think he was mocking me. Bleeding scratches cover his shoulders, arms, and face, and there are even a few small splinters sticking out of his skin that he hasn't gotten to yet. I'm fine, I say. Thank you. He smiles. I look out at a sea of green, grass and trees, the first living things I have seen other than my friends and the pig. Then I glance up, and anguish overwhelms me. My heart cries out for someone to make it all stop, to finally let us go. This is another room, different, massive, but still a room. We are not outside. The ceiling glows brightly. I have to shield my eyes to look at it. Unlike the hallways, the ceiling here is arched, as if we're standing inside the end of a long, wide tube. It curves high above. 
I doubt I could touch the top of it, even if 20 of us stood on each other's shoulders. Thick groves of trees line the sides, reaching up to the bottom edges of the ceiling arch. And some of those trees, I see bits of color in different shapes. It's, it must be fruit, food. If we can eat it, we are saved. Before us is a wide clearing of knee-high green that leads up to something just as beautiful as the fruit. Water. It's a spring, bubbling up out of the ground, a sparkling, glorious, living jewel that rises as high as my face before tumbling down into tall reeds. The reeds run down the center of this room, a wide swath of them that is oddly rectangular in shape. At the far end of that rectangle, more grass, and beyond the grass, a line of trees that are so tall, I can't see past them, can't see how far the arched roof goes. Food and water, Bishop says. He looks at me astonished. Savage, you did it. I shake my head slowly. But I didn't get us out. You will, Bishop says. I know you will. I look behind us. Here, the thicket is far different than it was in the dark room. Leaves cover it, making it look like a sloped, uneven blanket of deep green that lies comfortably under the shade of fruit trees. The thicket spreads left and right into the dense woods that line either side of this huge room. Through some spots, I can make out a stone wall. We must have crawled through a hole in that wall. Bishop stares at all of it, wide-eyed and smiling. This place, Savage, this place will keep us alive. We can rest. That word, rest, it triggers something inside me. I'm hungry, thirsty, and so tired. I haven't slept since I came out of the coffin, but I can't rest yet. We need Spingate, I say. Maybe she can figure out if the fruit is safe to eat. Bishop shrugs. If it's not, does it really matter? He walks to a nearby tree dotted with blue, fist-sized fruits. He reaches up, pulls at one of them. The branch bends for a moment, then a stem snaps free and the branch springs back into place with a rattle of leaves. I start to speak, to tell him to wait, but I say nothing. Bishop is right. If the food or water is poisonous, what difference does it make if we die from that or from starvation and thirst? I'm exhausted, drained, so is Bishop, so are the rest of our people. I'm not even sure if I have the strength to get back to them and bring them here. If we don't eat and drink what we see before us, we're finished anyway. Bishop puts the blue fruit to his mouth. He bites down. It sounds crunchy. He chews. A bit of clear juice squirts out of his mouth, runs down his chin. He reaches up, snaps off another piece of fruit. With a wet smile, he offers it to me. I take it. The fruit is firm and light. Its surface cool to the touch. Maybe it will kill me. If so, I don't care. I take a bite. Flavors explode across my tongue. Sweet, cool, tangy. I know that I have never, ever tasted anything this good. I chew madly as I take a second bite, then a third. Bishop pops the last of his blue fruit into his mouth. His teeth crunch noisily on hard seeds, even as he reaches for a different tree, a different fruit, one that is long and purple. 
Then he stops. Something has caught his attention. Knife in hand, he walks out into the knee-high grass. I see the deep scratches in his back, crisscross lines leaking blood. There are rips in his pants. I can see little glimpses of his thighs. My face flushes hot, and I look away. His pants are the only clothes he has left. If those go, he'll be naked. A grown man, naked. My stomach feels queasy, and I don't think it's from the fruit. The grass seems to close in behind him. He bends, touches something, straightens, rubs his thumb and forefinger together. I see redness on his fingertips. He continues on, moves closer to the bubbling column of water. His limp is almost gone. Finally, he stops. He stares down. He doesn't have to call for me because I know what's there. I walk to join him. The stiff grass feels sharp against my shins and knees. Near Bishop's feet, the pig lies on its side. Grass is flattened around it, pushed down by its body. In this bright, clear light, it's like a different animal. Black fur gleams, ears twitch, flicking this way and that, as if the pig hopes to hear someone coming to save it. Poor thing, there is no hope in this place. Something I've already learned. Bishop's spear throw opened up the animal's thigh, an awful gash that makes me wonder how it could run at all. There is also a slash on its upper flank, a straight line that starts at the neck and ends past its shoulder. That cut was mine. Blood oozes across the black fur, blood that is littered with dirt and small sticks, dotted with crumbled leaves. Yes, blood is the price of all things. The pig's ribs and stomach rise and fall in a ragged rhythm. Every breath in is a sucking snort. Every breath out comes as a thin whine of misery. The pig's legs twitch, like it would run away if it could just find the strength to rise again. Worst of all are the animal's eyes. They are brown with big black pupils. They flick to me, to Bishop and back again, over and over. The wide eyes show obvious terror. They look almost human. We stare at it for a moment. I had a dog, Bishop says finally. I can't remember her name. I don't know what to say to that, so I simply nod. It's dying, he says. His voice is small, quiet, not at all at home in a body his size. I understand why. This was a game to him. Now he's looking at a frightened, exhausted, bleeding animal. It's not a game anymore. Despite its wounds and the filth covering its fur, in this light, I find the pig beautiful. The wet nose, the wide eyes. If we had seen it here, in this clearing, running and scampering and full of life, would we have tried to kill it? Part of me wants to say of course not, but I know that part is from the little girl I used to be. 12-year-old M, well-fed, well-rested, safe M, would have wanted to make the pig a pet. If I had understood how this hunt would end, I would have stopped it. We were hungry. Now this animal will die in a place with more food than we could ever eat. This is awful. The pig did nothing to us. It's in pain, I say. We have to help it. Bishop's face is pale. He knew how to hunt. He didn't realize what he would have to do when that hunt was over.
We can't help it, he says. It's wounded real bad. It will be dead in a little while. Maybe an hour, maybe more. I shake my head. That's not what I meant by help it, Bishop. You have to end its suffering. He looks at me, a tortured expression on his face. You mean kill it now? Why? It's going to die anyway, Em. Why can't we let it die? Why? Because I don't need memories to know right from wrong. Because Bishop insisted on hunting this animal to exhaustion. Because if I was a better leader, I would have stopped him from hunting it in the first place. Because Latu was hurt, and we should have stayed with her. Those and a hundred other reasons. But there is one reason that stands out above all others. Because it's not humane, I say. The pig lets out a high-pitched whine. It tries to get up, but can't. I feel a cool tickle on my cheeks. I touch there, look at my fingers. Tears. I couldn't cry for Yang, but I can cry for a pig. The knot in my chest is as hard and tangled as the branches we crawled through to get here. Just as sharp, just as jagged. That voice in my head stirs. The one that said, crying doesn't fix anything. The one that told me to always attack. It's a man's voice, swirling up from somewhere in my hidden memories. It says, choices have consequences. The voice is right. You wanted to hunt it, I say to Bishop, so finish the hunt. He says nothing. The pig continues to whine, each small sound, a pointy stick jabbing into my soul. Knife shaking in his hand, Bishop kneels next to the pig. It tries to lift its head. Its hooves twitch. It wants to run because it knows what is coming. But it has nothing left with which to fight. Even now, with blood seeping onto the grass, this animal wants to live. In that way, it is no different from us. We know the pig can bite. Bishop isn't taking any chances. His free hand shoots out, pinning the black-furred head to the ground. Bishop leans forward, using his weight to hold the animal still. The pig squeals and grunts, breaths ripping in and out. The legs kick a little bit more, then it stops struggling. Bishop presses the knife's edge against the pig's thick neck. I wait, I wait some more. The pig's eye looks up at me. It's terrified, I say softly. It's hurting, please finish this. The knife hand trembles. I see the muscles in Bishop's shoulders twitch and bunch up. He's trying to cut, but his hand won't obey. He lets out a soft little moan. Bishop knows how to hunt. He knows how to throw a spear. He knows how to hit people and how to yell and scream. But he doesn't know how to kill. He lets go of the pig's head and sits back on his heels. The animal is still breathing. Each breath is a spasm of torment. I can't let this continue. Bishop, give me the knife. His head snaps up. He looks at me like I am a total stranger. Just let it die on its own. I hold up my hand, palm up. Give it. You've never killed anything before. Bishop stands. A wave of anger visibly washes over him. He leans toward me, trying to intimidate whether he knows he's doing it or not. But his anger isn't because of me. He's frustrated, furious with himself, and will take it out on anyone or anything. No, I've never killed anything before, he says. He sneers. Have you? 
I look into his eyes, and I nod. There is a moment of disbelief, then his anger drains away. He knows I am telling the truth. What did you kill? A boy, I say. My voice sounds like it belongs to someone else, someone incapable of emotion. His name was Yong. He attacked me. It was an accident. I didn't mean to do it. He gave me no choice. Bishop is stunned. He is the biggest. He is the strongest. He is the loudest. And me, tiny little me, has done something to another human being he can't even do to a wounded animal. You killed, he says. A person? You killed a person? You can't. I don't understand. But how? While he stammers, the pig suffers. We've talked long enough. I hold my hand out again. I killed him with that knife, I say. That's how. Now give it here. He offers it to me. He forgets to do it hilt first. I reach around the blade and take the knife from him. I kneel next to the pig. Hold it down, I say. Bishop kneels, again presses the big head to the grass. I put my hand on the pig's shoulder. It's warm. I can feel the thump thump of its panicked heart pounding through its body. Yang died because I stabbed him in the belly, but it took a long time. I can't do the same to this animal. It has suffered enough. I slide my hand to the thick neck. The muscle there is so firm, almost as solid as wood. Something tells me this is where I should cut. I rest the knife's edge against it. M, don't. Bishop says in a voice so quiet, I barely hear it even though he is right at my side. It would be easier to let the pig die a slow, agonizing death. But I'm not going to do the easy thing. I'm going to do the right thing. The pig's eye swivels. It looks right at me. I'm sorry, I say. I lean in and slice the blade forward. Filthy black fur and the muscle beneath it part with no resistance. There is a frozen moment where the cut sits deep and empty. Then it fills with blood. I push down harder as I draw the blade back. Blood spurts out onto the grass, splatters across my face and arms. The pig kicks hard, as if realizing too late that this is the end. Bishop throws his body on top of it, weighs it down. The pig twists and tries to bite. Bishop's hands clamp tight on the animal's muzzle. The pig squeals, louder than ever before, and keeps squealing. I want it to die. Please die. I need that sound to stop. Bishop is crying, big sobs that shake his big body. I'm crying too. I slice forward again, then back again, pushing down with all my strength. The pig squeals fade, turn into soft grunts. After a moment, the animal falls silent. The pig's eye is still looking at me, but there is no longer any life in it. I'm numb. I didn't think it would be like that. I didn't know what to think. I'm not sure if I thought at all, but not like that. I don't know how much time passes before Bishop slides off. He sits next to me. He takes me in his bloody arms and squeezes me tight. His forehead presses against my neck. I drop the knife and I hold him. We hear footsteps approaching. We both look up. Elsafani is there. The twins stare down at the pig, stare at the two of us, sheeted in blood.
Bishop and I get to our feet. The twins talk together, first the boy, then the girl. We followed the trail. The bloody footprints made it easy and found where you went through the hole in the door. Their heads angle down at the same time. They look at the pig, then at Bishop, their eyes bright with astonished admiration. It's dead. You killed it, Bishop. You are so brave. Bishop shakes his head. I tried, but I couldn't do it, he says. It was M. The twins turn their gaze on me. They still have that hard stare, but now there is something different about it. I am no longer the enemy. Bishop could have lied, could have said he killed the pig, and they would have believed him, but he didn't. He told the truth, instantly and without hesitation. The pig is dead, yet the horrific squeals still echo in my head, alongside Yong's cries for his mother. My body, my mind, and my spirit, they are all spent. I can't think, I can't even feel, and I don't know if I will ever feel again. We have food, we have water, probably, but something nags at me. Something is wrong. I stare at the twins, trying to figure out what it is. Then it hits me. Where's Latu? Back where she got bit. She said she was fine. She told us to come after you. My fists clench instantly, so hard my fingernails are daggers punching into my palms. You left her? The twins look at each other. They are little kids again, kids who suddenly realize they've done something bad. She wanted us to help you get the pig, because everyone is so hungry. She has a torch, with extra rags. She said we should go. They left her, alone and wounded. I hear an animal grunt. The noise spooks me, makes me look down at the pig to see if it has suddenly come back to life. No, there is no life there and never will be again. A second grunt, my eyes flick up at the sound. There, to the left, just past the tall grass and a cluster of trees that are heavy with red fruit, a pig. There are more of them? A second pig head appears, then a third. I feel cold inside, icy and brittle. How many pigs are there? The third one grunts, that grunt rolls around my exhausted brain, looks for a connection. Back when we were chasing the pig in the hallways, I heard a grunt like that, a grunt that didn't come from our quarry. That trip to the farm, what the man in the funny hat said, more of his words flash through my mind. And when they do, I realize why all those coffins were empty. Latu, I say. I snatch up the knife from the grass and sprint for the thicket. 22. Sharp branches scratch my face. My arms and my legs snag in my hair. The pain doesn't matter. I have to get to her as fast as I can. I'm through the thicket and in the room on the other side of the wall before I realize I didn't bring a torch. That doesn't matter. I'm not going back. I crawl through the hole in the stone door and emerge to total darkness. That awful smell is here, but I barely notice it. Left hand on the wall, right hand holding the knife, I run. The hallway is straight and I was just here. Other than pig's blood, there's nothing on the floor to trip me up. Is Latu's torch still burning? Did Elsafani leave her enough greased rags? 
I'm desperate to see the light of that torch, to see her. I want it so bad I try to wish it into existence. Faster. I must run faster. I try to sprint, but my body simply won't let me go full speed through the absolute black, as if I might run into something new, something I didn't see on the way here. How could the twins have left her alone? But it's not Elsa Fani's fault. I left too, chose to go with Bishop instead of staying with my wounded friend. She was bit, her shoulder all torn up and bleeding. Why did I go with him? I wish I could take that decision back. Without light, there was only sound, my wet, filthy socks slapping against the floor, my fingertips sliding along the wall, my rapid breathing that can't suck in air fast enough to help my burning lungs and screaming muscles. Latu will be all right. She has to be. She told me to go. She said she would be fine. Up ahead, a pinpoint of flickering yellow stands out like the brightest star in the night sky. It's still far off down the long, straight hall but I've almost reached her. The light grows brighter, larger. It's from a torch, a torch lying flat on the floor. Past the torch? Is that Latu? Lying on her shoulder, maybe? I can see she's moving a little, and my heart explodes with relief. She could still be in trouble, but if she's moving, she's not dead. Almost there. She's twitching a little. She's alive. Latu, are you okay? At the sound of my voice, she stops moving. Motion from something by her legs, something black. Six round, glistening spots pop into existence, dance in the torchlight. Eyes, pig eyes. Latu wasn't moving at all. The pigs were moving her. No, this can't be happening. That slice of memory from my trip to the farm becomes clearer. The man in the funny hat was telling us that pigs will eat anything, grass, dirt, Bugs, crops, meat, cloth, wood, even bone. That's why the coffins were empty. And that's why the pig was in the coffin. It was looking for food. Newfound strength floods me. I scream with rage and hatred and fury. A scream that would make even Bishop turn and run. I rush at them, at her, at the torch, sprinting and waving my knife in front of me. The pigs scamper away grunting as they vanish into the darkness. I reach Latu, I stop. Tears blur my vision. I shouldn't have left her. I want that moment back, I want it back. Please let this not be real. Wishing won't help, and crying doesn't fix anything because reality is what it is. Latu's dead face stares up at nothing. I am standing in a pool of her blood. The pigs ripped her to pieces. Her shirt, what's left of it, is a mess of red-soaked white. They tore open her stomach. They shredded her shoulder, the bitten one, chewing away so much muscle that I'm not sure if the arm is still attached or if it's just lying in the right position to make it look like it is. Parts of her are scattered about the hallway, lying among the bloody hoof prints of her killers. They ate her feet, her feet. Sticks of red smeared broken white jut out from where her ankles used to be. I see gnaw marks on the bones. The pigs murdered her. The pigs devoured her. The pigs are food for us. We are food for the pigs. Did Latu scream? Did she fight? I will never know. I lean against the wall. My shoulder presses into a carving of a man harvesting wheat. I close my eyes. 
I want to go to sleep. I want to go to school. I want to take a bath and put on clean clothes. I want dad to cook me dinner. I want O'Malley's sandwich, Young's pasta with cheese. I want Aramovsky's cupcake. Why won't someone come for us? Because, because we're not loved. That has to be why. We are discarded. We are unwanted. Our parents, they left us in this nightmare. They left us alone. It stinks in here. It smells of pig shit and death. I use the backs of my hands to wipe away tears. Latu's dead eyes are looking at me. I know they are. Looking at me. Blaming me. My tears come faster, harder, making my sight shimmer, making Latu waver. Her face, it changes. Now it's young. How many more will die, Em? He asks. How many more like Latu and me? I don't know, I say. I don't know how many. I wipe the tears away again, harder this time, and look down at the body. It's not young. It's Latu. And she can't talk to me because she's dead. Things could have been different. I can't remember school, but I know I used to go to one. What if I'd met Latu in class? We could have sat at the same table at lunch. We could have played together at recess. I would have invited her to my birthday party. She would have invited me to hers. Is it still our birthday? I don't know. There is no day down here, no night. Latu and I would have been friends, best friends. We would have been kids, but we're not kids. We have been thrust into these older versions of ourselves. This body, I'm different in it. I can't remember details, but I didn't cry this much before. I know I didn't. I never wanted to touch a boy's chest. I never got so angry I wanted to hurt someone, like I wanted to hurt Yang. Is it my fault Latu is gone? Yes. And Bishop's fault? And Elsafani's? Yes. Even Latu's fault, too, because she insisted on coming when I told her to go with O'Malley. Consequences have actions. We all own a piece of the flame, but only a small piece, because we wouldn't have made those bad decisions if someone hadn't put us down here in the first place. The people that did this to us, they are the ones responsible. Latu's death is on their hands. So is Yang's. All the pain and hunger and thirst, all the blood, it's their fault. I want to find out who they are. I want to make them pay. Footsteps echo down the hall. Human footsteps. Moments later, I see the torch-lit faces of Bishop and Elsafani. They stand there, shocked staring down at Latu's mutilated body. Bishop looks at me. Pigs? I nod. It's horrible. She must have screamed so much. If I yell at Elsafani for leaving Latu alone, it won't make any difference. It won't bring her back. So I stay silent. I squat down on my heels. I don't kneel because I don't want Latu's blood on my skin. I reach out and take her left hand. It's free of blood somehow, and it's still warm. I'm sorry, I tell her. I realize I said those same words when I cut the pig's throat, and that infuriates me. The people that put us here, I want to cut their throats. I want to kill them all. I rest Latu's hand on her chest. I don't touch her right hand, because two of the fingers have been chewed off. When I stand, I look away. I will never look at her body again. 
I choose to remember Latu with her frizzy hair flying because we're on a swing set side by side, laughing in the sunshine during recess as we dare each other to go higher and higher. Bishop, take Latu into the dome room, I say. Put her on that stone circle and bring me the spear. He pauses for a moment, then bends to scoop up my friend. I don't watch. Elsafani, put a new rag on Latu's torch and give it to Bishop, I tell the twins. Fix your own torch as soon as you're done. Divide the remaining rags into two piles. Bishop and I will take half. You'll stay here with the rest. The twins glance at each other, afraid, doubtful. We're staying here. And you are leaving us? That's right. Bishop and I are going to get the others. You guard the door. Don't let any pigs get near Latu's body. Bishop comes out of the room. He hands me the spear. I take it, then offer it to the twins. If the pigs come near you, kill them, I say. The spear is long, so you can stay inside the door and stab them from a distance. The doors are narrow enough that they can only enter one at a time. Even if there are a hundred pigs, you should be able to hold them off until Bishop and I return with the others. Then we're all going to the garden. The garden. That name is as good as any, and it fits. Girl Elsafani starts working on Latu's torch, leaving boy Elsafani to take the spear with a trembling hand. He looks at it as if he can't believe he's holding it. Shouldn't we all stay together? He asks. We should. I know we should. There is strength in numbers. But if we leave Latu, the pigs will eat her up. I won't let that happen. Stay here, I say, more firmly this time. When we come back, we will take Latu's body with us. We're going to bury her. My friend Latu will not wind up as a pile of dusty bones. Any of these three circle stars could ignore my commands, but they don't. They look at me like I'm different. Well, I am different. I am the one who kills. Girl Elsafani finishes with Latu's torch. It flares to life. Torches are always brightest when the fire first starts. I slip the knife in my hand, offer the hilt to Bishop. He's stronger and faster. It makes sense for him to have the weapon. He shakes his head like he's not worthy of holding the knife. He is ashamed. Then I'll carry it, I say. You take the torch. He does. Bishop and I head down the hall at a fast jog. We're going to get our people. You have been listening to Alive, book one in the Generations trilogy. Written by Scott Sigler, performed by Emma Galvin. Produced by Adrian Galvin and engineered by Steve Rickyberg. Follow Scott on Twitter and Instagram, where his handle is at Scott Sigler, S-C-O-T-T-S-I-G-L-E-R, one word, or join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash Scott Sigler. Theme music is the song Unseen Horrors by Kevin McLeod. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, 
coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.